when is the last time you invited someone to only tell you what you're doing wrong? That's not a fun exercise, but it's a necessary exercise. If you're building something, human nature is to illegitimately exalt its quality. But we will be better when we invite those with a keen eye to push our proverbial tower over so that we can learn to build it better. This is the podcast by Stone Creek Coffee. It's an exercise in learning, and it is what it is. If you've been following along with uh, our latest reboot of this podcast, you're tuning into this week's episode. And two weeks ago, you heard us promise to talk about coffee roasting, which we certainly will. In a manner of speaking, uh, we talk about this podcast as really a a podcast about learning. So we're not going to talk about drop temperatures or development ratios or rate of rise or or any of that so much as we're going to talk about the process of learning to roast coffee better. So before we get to that, I thought it'd be helpful to just kind of do some reflection. If, If you're a coffee roaster, I mean, your goal is probably to become a master at your craft, right? And traditional wisdom would tell us that it takes, you know, 10,000 hours of practice and reps to make you a master at at what you do. But personally, I think that kind of sells mastery short is, hey, I put in 10,000 hours and then I'm good to go. Eric, how how would you personally define what it is to be a master at something? I mean, the traditional sense, as you said, is a a master is somebody who achieves something or this idea of 10,000 hours. But... I think with coffee roasting, for us, it's been a little bit different. And in the industry, we, we talk about coffee roasting as an art versus a science, or which one is it, or is it both? And ultimately, f- for our purposes, um, and I'll speak for myself personally here in a little bit, but to me, being a master at coffee roasting is that you can do it in a way that's repeatable and then ultimately predictable. And, and those are two different things that we'll probably touch on but to me that's what mastery with regard to coffee roasting is and it also means for me I don't roast the coffee every day mm-hmm. but I'm accountable for a coffee company so how do I understand it enough to coach the team to be able to be repeatable and predictable yeah I kind of saw two components in mastery um, just to, in a really basic sense one is hey, I'm, I'm proficient in in this particular craft or skill and then the second one is that I feel control related to it like I can walk into a scenario and I can navigate my way to understand what's happening and and help progress the trade or the issue if I'm a master of the subject matter as relates to, to roasting coffee if you're proficient you know what it takes to make coffee taste excellent by how you roast it and then the control side would be to walk in encounter a piece of machinery be familiar with how it works be familiar with what the components are and how to manipulate those to get that product that you're wanting to get that's sort of the technical side of mastery but I think from like a Stone Creek perspective, um, I ha- like we have to bring in the whole never stop learning mantra to it as well, is I could just say, I have attained a level of mastery in regard to this particular issue, but if there's not any sort of ongoing progression in your development, then I think that y- you could be a master one moment and you could get overtaken the next because you have to constantly fight forgetfulness and entropy and, and changing expectations and changing customer tastes to stay on top and stay ahead. So the never stop learning 
not only does that bring you to the proficiency and the control you need to have to be a master, but I think it's what keeps you going because I think the world changes at such a heavy tick, particularly now, if you're not active in that, you do start to start to break down. And the other last thing I'd say in regarding mastery is the idea that progressing mastery is a choice and boredom is what gets in the way and boredom is always your fault. So a couple of times in my career here, I've, I've interacted with employees who would say, listen, I'm bored or I feel like I've got whatever I'm doing doped. I feel like I got it nailed down. Um, so I'm, I'm ready to move on to the next thing. And it's always sort of a frustrating conversation because it makes it sound like you're not helping them progress. And maybe, you know, there, I'm sure there are instances where an organization or a mentor can help facilitate somebody's progression. But in other cases, I think that the progression of learning and improvement always has to come from the individual. And it's never something where you're done. So I could have a cafe coach or a cafe manager who's a great cafe coach and cafe manager, but they always have room to progress and grow if it comes from themselves. So to say you're bored or you feel like you've reached as far as you can in terms of your competency in a certain area just sounds like you're selling yourself short you're selling your team short, and eventually I think you're gonna get proven to be a fraud and your mastery is inauthentic because you just stopped trying. So let's try and apply some of these concepts now to, to roasting. If we're talking about mastery being this progressive learning, mastery being a progressive sort of trait, let's, let's do a little journey through Stone Creek's uh, roasting history and some of the work we've been doing over the last year. So Eric, take us back to day one in Grafton and your first steps in learning to turn green things brown, as you put it. Yes, turning green things brown. So when I started the company, I, I had a choice. I could buy coffee from someone else. There weren't any roasters other than Northwestern Coffee Mills. This was 1993. Um, and I decided I would roast my coffee out of the gates. Um, so I bought a San Franciscan coffee roaster um, with some money that I had to start the business. Rather than just plugging it in, attaching the gas and giving it a go, which would have been probably fine, I ended up um, looking around and finding out who, who I could learn from. And that's always been my MO is who knows more about this than I do. And so I found at the time, Carl Staub, who continues to run a company called Agtron. Um, and at the time he was teaching roasting seminars. So I flew out to Reno and spent, uh, I think it was three days at his warehouse learning from him, his philosophy of roasting. And it's interesting if you compare his philosophy of roasting to kind of how we run curves now on Cropster. His philosophy was basically a two-step process. One, uh, you, you dump the coffee at X temperature, let's call it 375. Uh, you dry the coffee, and then you move as quickly as you can up to kind of second stage, and then you try to hold that temperature, call it 435, 440, depending whatever, of your roaster. But it was a two-stage process, and that's not quite how we do it now. We, we do more ticks down, but I think he was on the right track, and he taught a system of modding out your roaster where you put in thermocouples, you put controllers on where you can read the temperature, and that's what I did. I tapped out the roaster, I put another uh, thermocouple in the exhaust, just like we run now with Cropster, but it was attached to just a digital readout, and when I would roast, I'd have a piece of paper and a pencil, and every 30 seconds I'd write the temperature, 
and then I would literally graph that by hand. Mm. And so I could, we were doing curves, I was doing curves in 1993 on paper, but I can, I can tell you that that journey of working from Carl Staub all the way up until today, even getting ready for the podcast, Drew and I were looking at some curves and talking through, okay, what's going on here? The process of learning how to roast coffee, what's great about it, it is kind of forever. Mm -hmm. The coffee changes, the people change, the equipment changes, the environment changes, the tools change, the technology changes. And I've just had a blast learning how to get better and better at coffee roasting. And we'll talk about the last year, what, what was the big push to really look deeply into our roasting here in a minute. Yeah, similar product. My wife bakes sourdough, so she's got her own starter that she built probably as complex as roasting coffee in that that it's organic matter living matter that's always changing at probably a faster rate than even coffee so you're constantly trying to understand what's going on and what's driving your variables and in roasting coffee there's we probably change and alter four to five different variables with with each roast but then there's also other variables at play that you may not be able to take into account so in this in learning in cooking which roasting coffee is cooking, it's just about understanding and managing your variables and understanding what each alteration you do to a variable creates in the end product. So Eric, having come out of your work with, with Carl, like, do you feel like there were other instrumental steps in learning up until last year? Did you feel like you ever arrived? Like, oh, I think I got this roasting thing pretty well pretty well handled for better or worse you know one of my jobs at stone creek is to make sure the coffee's amazing i mean as the founder and a co-owner of the company that's forever part of my job and over the years that work the work with coffee roasting has ebbed and flowed and it was driven either by the desire to to make the coffee better try to make the coffee better or to drift away from the roasting because we were opening a cafe or we were doing a new project and it required me to to look elsewhere so Yes, I mean, Cropster was a big step. I don't know, that was four or five years ago. We had we were bringing in a lot of new green at the time, buying direct from new partners. And so four or five years ago was kind of a big step in the roasting. And then, uh, as we'll talk about about a year ago, we took another big look at it. And I've always been frustrated with the roasting because I can, I can cup the coffee. But as we all know in the industry, if you cup a coffee, you can't disaggregate it into its parts. Where could this have been better? What might be improved with this coffee? Is this a green problem? Is it a storage problem? Is it a picking and sorting problem? Is it a processing problem? Is it a roasting problem? And if it's a roasting problem, is it a dump temperature? Is it a time in the roaster? Is it a speed of the drum? Is it an airflow problem? Like it goes on and on and on. And so how do you disaggregate a cup into all these constituents and then start working on them? Really, that's what we do now. We have to do. And so a year ago, my goal was to say, F this. I want to know that we're roasting the heck out of this. I want to take roasting out as a possible failure point. Can roasting change? Of course. But what I needed is a high level of confidence that no matter what green we had, we were absolutely roasting it the best we could. And that was the goal a year ago when I became super frustrated with our program. One day I come into work, I go upstairs and I walk over to my desk and I drop my backpack and there's this yellow sticky note at my desk and it's got two lines on it. At the top it said in sort of classic Eric handwriting, uh, talk later. And then it has two lines on it. So I still have this sticky note and the color's a bit faded now, but the two lines that Eric drew on this sticky note were meant to represent roast curves and one one of those said correct and one of them said 
not correct. And I'm just going, oh man. Like there's certain, there've been certain moments in my learning where just like this little thing goes, I, there's, there's something here that, <laughs> that needs some work. So this really started as you just introduced Eric, this pretty aggressive year and a half now almost mm -hmm. in, in our, what I call renovating or reforming how we, how we roast and how we view it and how we work on it. So what, what sort of went on in, in that moment that brought you to that sticky note, Eric, and, and um, starting to push in this area of the business pretty aggressively? Goes back to this idea that I didn't want to guess whether or not we were roasting the crap out of the coffee. Like I needed to know, I needed that variable off my worry list. And then secondly, I was looking at the, the curves in Cropster and I was looking at them going, what the hell? What is happening here? Why are these curves shaped the way they are? And we were just all over the board with how we were uh, managing the roast curves. I couldn't walk into the production area and talk to the team and go, what's going on back here? Why? Because the team didn't have as much knowledge as they needed either. And, and so it's like when my son or daughter spills milk at home, it's not like, what's your problem? Why are you spilling milk? It's gosh, it was an accident, or I wasn't trained, or the previous coach didn't help me, or we didn't document things. There's a lot of reasons why we get in these positions. But as Drew said, we started down this path of we have to be better, and we have to teach better, coach better, and just continue to learn. So this was an integral moment for me in the in the business, and I continue need to need to improve in, in areas like this, and it's informing how I, how I change my habits and how I work. But from the time of this sticky note over the next couple of weeks, I can remember a couple of conversations where I'm just in my front yard pacing with the phone, listening to Eric talk about roasting and, and challenging me on what happened and asking asking questions about like sort of how do we get here. It's not like we couldn't roast the coffee and turn it from green to brown at the same time. The challenge was if we're claiming to be specialists in this area, if we're going to talk about specialty coffee, if we're going to have a podcast about specialty coffee and how to roast for crying out loud, then we need to actually know what's going on. And you as the managing director probably need to know what's going on too. You don't have to be a master roaster, but you need to know what a master roaster has to do and know. And so as we dug into it, you know, there are things, assumptions that we had made across the team about how our roasters talked to each other, didn't talk to each other. And by roasters, in this case, I mean roasting machines. We had poor assumptions on roast theory. We supposedly knew these things, but really they were assumptions. And so the discipline for me in assessing performance in areas of the company is just to ask for the proof. How do we know this? Can you show it to me? Can you show me the alternatives? Prove it, basically is I'm not gonna just take, oh, I know it, we're good. I can't take that and, and just run with it. As Eric has a saying that's really rubbed off across the organization, and I'm sure he stole it from somebody else, is trust but verify. So if you're trusting, that's great for sort of building a kumbaya culture of everybody's happy, but it's not very helpful for actually understanding what's going on, and it's not helpful at all for learning how to get better. Is, challenge people even people you trust it's helpful and healthy to challenge my biggest failures there and the failures in the organizations were a failure to ask the right questions and to truly understand what was happening failure to have people show me their work when i was homeschooled and so i, I remember on a regular basis 
I would just solve the solve the answer in my head, particularly in math. I'd just do the math in my head, write it down, and then my mom would count points off for me because she said, hey, like, show me your work. You got the right answer, that's fine, but I need to know how you got to the conclusion. I need to make sure you know how to do this work. And it's helpful across the organization is because you can wing it. You can wing it on talent for a while, but talent won't take you very far. The thinking is what will take you. So we have this wake-up call, what felt to me, quite frankly, like a slap in the face. But but then what? I mean, how do you get from this stagnation? Because I feel like that's really where we were, is like this stagnant point in our roasting and our green quality and final cup quality to this point of like learning and rejuvenation versus the stagnation. One of the things that reduces my anxiety is to have a deeper understanding on a variable that's impacting the business. And I also have a personal need, a deep-seated need, to have amazing coffee. And I don't mean amazing like ha ha ha, I mean like put it on the table and it is awesome. And that is very difficult to do. And I wanted to take roasting out of that equation of worry. And that led us to asking the question just like I did in 1993, which was, who knows a lot about this stuff and can we get them to come help us? And, and that's really what we ended up doing. We're looking for this expert and, you know, across the coffee industry, there's, there's a lot of people claiming to be experts and then there's the people who really stand out. We found somebody who really stands out. <laughs> and so Eric says, you know, I've been chatting with this guy, following him on Instagram, his name's Scott Rao. He started, Eric started sending me stuff from this guy, Scott Rao, Rao being R-A-O. You can look him up, interesting guy. But one of the early things that Eric and I really wrestled with was, you know, Scott would make these posts on Instagram and people would just blow up on him. Like he was just really critical about, you know, the, the people that he was working for or what he was seeing going on in the coffee industry that he felt was wrong. He wasn't a jerk about it, but he was, radically transparent and radically critical to say, listen, this is probably not best, particularly when we're saying we're delivering this amazing experience to customers. So for me, as somebody who's pretty transparent and pretty critical, it rubbed me the wrong way because I, he was probably a lot like, like me. And so therefore I'm going, oh, I'm gonna butt heads with this guy if we work with this guy. But Eric really pushed me on, hey, listen, if, if he's the expert, we need to put ourselves, as we've talked about before on the podcast, we need to understand who's the teacher and who's the student in this particular scenario. And for us, like we, we know we have areas we need to learn. So let's just play the role of the student. Let's just try it. Let's just see how it goes. Let's have him in. And if he's a jerk, we'll tell him to hit the road. But he could be dramatically helpful for us. I had been following Scott. And he's really, from what I know, I mean, I think there are a few others who've done some of this work in the industry. But his methodology for roasting, in partnership with the tools we now have with Cropster, what I said about mastery and coffee roasting was that it's repeatable and predictable. And the, the tool set that Scott developed related to how he thought coffee could be roasted really, really well. And again, we all get to argue over how to roast coffee that's really good, and that's what's cool about our industry. But he had a methodology that was, I don't want to say it's easy it's easy to understand, it's hard to do, mm. but, but that's why I wanted to reach out to him. Aside from him being you know, very frank and very um, clear and very talented, 
I knew I had read his stuff and read his books. I knew he had a methodology that I thought could be really teachable within an organization where we don't have just one person roasting. We have a couple or three at times. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to bring Scott in. And as you said, I was ready to be the student, happy to be the student. Yeah. And as we talked about in the Never Stop Learning episode of the podcast, you have to be willing to let yourself be challenged, like to learn. You have to have somebody who's willing to tell you you're wrong. That's good. That's for your growth. And so it takes a lot to get over your pride and to get over your ego to let somebody do that. But really, Scott's sort of uniquely wired to do that well. And when he came, he did that, but he did it in a way that was full of grace and transparency is, hey, here's what I see is the facts. It is what it is. If you guys are up a creek, I'm going to tell you you're up a creek so you can get down the creek where you (laughs) need to go. So he helped us dramatically, not only in our roasting through digital correspondence and a visit but he helped in other areas of our business too from equipment to water to to brewing and he continues to be an asset to our organization so we're thankful for what he does and and how he's helped us yeah and i think scott would also admit like scott's not great at everything but you know what he's uniquely gifted at knowing a shit ton about roasting coffee brewing coffee and he spends his day being better at that so Mm. you know i don't spend my day doing that i couldn't do that i'm not wired that way but he is and so to have people like scott who aren't in our company but that we can reach out to run things by it's just makes the organization that much more interesting and i i it's analogous to sort of like you know we moved from downloading software and 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 installing on our c drive or d drive and to a world where it's all cloud-based and you're collaborating with all these different tool sets hosted on servers all over the world. And that's kind of how the learning is going as well. So I see Scott in a way analogous to kind of like a cloud-based software. He's up in the cloud and he's he's there to work and occasionally he'll drop in and, and see us. And um, and together we collaborate and do cool things. And that, wow, what a fun what a fun way to grow the business. So coming through the process of, of working with, with Scott and going through this, hey, what we know about roasting, we're not executing that very well and we probably don't know enough to really execute our roasting on a world-class level. So therefore we're gonna find this expert, we're gonna iterate, 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 we're gonna take a disposition of the student and we're gonna just rethink everything we know and build processes to help us understand the variables change of variables, learn, grow, and continue the cycle. Eric, what are your takeaways from this process over the last year and a half, particularly as regards to roasting and and learning in general? The takeaways more broadly are consistent with what we've been doing, which is become a student, learn something, iterate, and move forward, as you just said. But what this also did for me as one of the people who helps set the budgeting and the capital budgeting and the green coffee buying budgeting, I didn't want to continue to spend more and find world-class green coffee if we didn't couldn't do the roasting first. So in a way, this was a walk before you run as part of a larger effort to improve our quality across the board. So one of the takeaways is, hey, we can really roast the crap out of any coffee, even if it's a, a coffee that's maybe not great. We can just make it as good as it can be. But imagine when we're continuing to buy these better and better coffees and we have this amazing Kenya or this amazing Ethiopian or this long miles little micro lot that we we brought in and we know now that we can get everything out of that coffee and that makes me excited for the future for me from a operations team development perspective it's a challenge to not only do this myself but have the people around me in the organization do the reading 
and that's a that's I'm ripping that off from Seth Seth Godin again, but you know, we can't claim to be masters. We can't talk about how good we are and probably shouldn't ever do that because there's always more reading out there to be done. We have to understand our craft, whether that is team development or recruiting or business strategy or marketing or coffee roasting. Like we really need to understand the facts of what's going on and why we're making decisions. And without seeing those facts, without seeing the work, without hearing about the reading that was done, it's probably not wise to just assume that everything is as good as it possibly can be. That's just naive. Like, that's the mistake of a naive manager. Um, and the great thing is we all get to be naive. Like, we all get to fail and we all get to learn, but you just can't persist in that. So as I mentioned, um, you know, it continues to be a struggle for me in that to ask somebody to show you their reading, to ask somebody to show you their work, is at times uncomfortable. It's holding them accountable and it can force them to be better. And anytime you feel like you're forcing somebody to do something, it can be like, oh, I don't wanna hurt their feelings or they work so hard already. I don't wanna ask them to work more. Well, the point is they could be working hard and working fruitless. So you're not doing them any favors by holding back because you're, you're, you're tentative in addressing the situation. What's best for them and best for you is to push hard, push hard on the thinking, understand what's truly going on, and then move forward. We scratched the surface today on the concept of radical transparency, and I think that is the path really to moving a large group forward in unison. It's that, that journey is just full of conflict and emotion, and radical transparency is a disposition that might allow you to be yourself while inviting each member of your team to contribute to the work in their unique ways. So that's in contrast to leaving your thoughts and your convictions all pent up where it's just left to foster frustration and bitterness. We're gonna talk about that in two weeks about this idea of radical transparency and how it's impacting our teamwork here at Stone Creek. In the meantime, as you're drinking your coffee, um, we just updated the blend components in our Cream City. We call this sort of our, the quintessential coffee. Everybody loves this. It's our, our house, house blend, and it's right now um, a coffee from Huila, Colombia, and then it's fresh crop coffee out of Burundi from the Long Miles Project. Um, so it's chocolatey, it's cherry, it's sweet, clean, and juicy. Definitely worth checking out right now. It's tasting amazing. And while you're sipping your coffee, you can reach out to us with show ideas or questions, anything really, I'll answer. Just email podcast at stonecreekcoffee.com. You can reach out to us on social media too, at Stone Creek Coffee on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And our website is stonecreekcoffee.com. You can find our backlog of podcast episodes. You can also get the podcast episodes through iTunes. If at first you don't succeed, do something different. I'm not telling you to quit, I'm, I'm telling you to change. So if you failed, it's because you didn't do what you need to do. So persisting in the same action and expecting a different result is really a case study in insanity. Fail and change, fail and change, fail and change, and never stop learning.